Well, good morning, church. Here we are again. It's Easter Sunday. Who would ever dreamed we were doing church like this on Easter? But you know what? The church is not about a building. It's about us gathering together, studying God's Word, and becoming everything that God intends for us to be. I hope this week, as you uh, have uh, walked through Holy Week, that you took some time Friday to be with us and to... Um, to read through some of the things that I sent out that kind of walked us through Jesus' arrest and uh, his trial, his crucifixion, uh, his burial, and we've led all the way up to Easter now. And so today we've come uh, to celebrate Easter. And, and let's just be honest, on that day when Jesus was resurrected, there was nobody that actually expected Jesus to be resurrected. Nobody. Uh, the, the women didn't expect it. The women that went to the tomb early that morning, they didn't go to see an empty tomb. They went with spices, ready to further embalm the body of Christ and prepare it for this long time burial. Uh, even when they saw the empty tomb and they turned around and met what they thought was a gardener, they didn't expect to see Jesus. They weren't expecting the resurrection. Neither were the disciples. They didn't expect the resurrection. The, the disciples were, were men who, even when the ladies came back and told them, that they had met Jesus, that he was alive. They didn't believe the story. The story is Peter and John had to run to the tomb to verify the story for themselves. The disciples didn't fully understand. Thomas, one of the disciples, even after the others had met Jesus, still would not believe, said he wouldn't believe until he saw his hands and he placed his hand in his side. He wouldn't believe that Jesus was alive. The men on the road to Emmaus, even after the stories had come back that that Jesus was alive, they still couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that he had been resurrected. Even though he was walking with them, they still couldn't believe it. And the idea of somebody coming back from the dead after three days in a tomb seemed like something that a cult would teach, not something that could actually happen. The religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, the, the chief priests and the, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they did not believe that a resurrection was possible. In fact, their greatest fear was that the disciples would somehow sneak into the tomb, steal the body, and then try to convince everybody that Jesus had been resurrected. They didn't expect a resurrection. They expected a, a stolen body. And so their greatest fear was that they would steal the body. And so in order to thwart the chances of the disciples pulling off this huge hoax, they go to Pilate. They, while well, everybody's observing the Sabbath and they're supposed to be at home, they sneak out and go have a meeting with Pilate and say, Pilate, listen, our fear is that, that these guys are going to send somebody, that they're going to steal the body, and that the story that they profess afterwards is going to be worse than anything we've seen up to this point. So we need to secure the tomb. And, and Pilate says, well, go and secure the tomb. Make it as secure as you possibly can. And he gave him permission to put his seal upon the tomb, which was a sign that, that if anybody disturbed that tomb, that they could be arrested and punished for doing so. The soldiers that were posted at the, at the tomb, they certainly didn't think a resurrection was possible. In fact, in their minds, they probably thought this is the easiest job we've ever had. We're guarding a dead man. Can you imagine? They are there with no clue of what is about to happen. This was going to be their easiest job ever. But when the angel, when the angel arrived and the ground starts shaking, the Bible says that they were so fearful that they, 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 they acted like dead men. They dropped to the ground. When the stone was rolled back, all they could see was an empty tomb. This was a first for them as well. Can you imagine a dead prisoner escaping somehow? 
By the way, you do realize that that stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out of the tomb, but to let people into the tomb. Jesus didn't need that stone to be rolled away in order for him to be resurrected. He was gone long before that stone was rolled away. So the guards run to report to the temple authorities the fact that, that the stone was rolled away, that an angel had appeared there, and that the body was gone. And they didn't know what to think. They didn't know what to do. But these temple authorities responded quickly. Faster than a group of seasoned politicians, these leaders, these leaders devised this foolproof cover-up plan. Here was their plan. They were going to say that the guards had fallen asleep, and while the guards were asleep, the disciples came, and they stole the body. Now, that sounded great to these leaders. It didn't sound quite so good to the guards. Because if you're a guard and you lost your prisoner, then you gave your life in exchange for the prisoner's life that you lost. And so the guards weren't real thrilled about the story, but the, the leaders said, look, we'll, we'll pay you some money to keep your mouth shut because we've got to get this story out. And, and the guards didn't have a lot of leverage because they could have been executed. But the religious leaders didn't have a lot of leverage because they didn't want the guards running off and telling people the true story. And so they, they, they agreed to scratch each other back. Here's what they do. The, the leaders say, look, we'll pay you to, 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 to get our story out, that you'd fall asleep, that the disciples stole the body, and that Jesus wasn't really resurrected. And then we'll run cover for you with the governor, making sure that your lives are protected and that you're not harmed for what we're going to tell people that, that happened. And so while they were there, they put this story together. And these, this Bible says the story was circulated up to this day. Uh, yet you had to know that when those leaders laid their head down at night, they knew the truth. When those guards tried to go to sleep that night, they knew the truth. They knew the resurrection had happened. In fact, their response shows you that they already knew. If... If they had really believed their own story, it would be simple to prove that the disciples had stolen the body. You just simply send your guards out throughout the town. You find the dead body. You could interrogate the disciples. You could torture them. You could do whatever it took to get them to confess that they had stolen the body and to tell you where that body was. And then by you presenting Jesus' dead body, you dispel all the myths about a resurrection. Only one problem. They believe the story. And they knew the truth, even though they would never publicly admit it. They knew. They knew. Their plan would remain foolproof as long as Jesus didn't show up alive. But you and I know the rest of the story. We, we, we know that, 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 that Jesus did show up. He showed up to the women at the tomb. He, he showed up and, 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 and met them on the road. To Emmaus, Jesus showed up, and it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, it gives us a listing of, of many of the people that Jesus showed up to. Listen to this. It says, it says, for what I received, this is Paul, what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Now, wait a minute. Here's what I'm saying. The resurrection was of major importance. Not just a, a thing that we can dismiss, but it was of major importance. So the things I, I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter, and then the twelve, that after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living, although some had fallen asleep. So what's he saying? 
500 people Jesus appeared to at one time. Most of them are still alive. If you don't believe me, go ask them. And then he says he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. So what were the Jews going to do? Well, here was their plan. You say the disciples stole the body, and then you just accuse these disciples of being delusional. They were just overcome with emotions. They were seeing things that were not really there. They had just kind of done what these leaders did. They just created their own narrative to keep from looking like fools who had been following a crazy leader. But we have to ask the question, after looking at the transformation in the disciples' lives, how many people, if they concocted a lie, are willing to die for that lie? How many people, if they've made up a false story, when, when the rubber hits the road and when things get tough and when their life is on the line, how many of them stick with that story? We know that doesn't happen. We know that, that when, when it gets tough, people break. And the truth seems to come out. Well, these apostles were willing to die rather than renounce the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I can understand non-believers, their desire to deny or to dismiss the truth of the resurrection. I understand that. Because if the resurrection is a hoax, then there's no substance to everything that Jesus claimed. If the resurrection is a hoax, if it's not true, if it didn't happen, then there's no all-powerful God. There's no absolute truth. There's no final resurrection at the end of time. There's no eternal judgment for them to worry about. There's no great commission, no need to go bother people with the truth of the gospel because it's not true. Why bother? There's no need to give up time to go to church and to gather with others. There's no need for missions. There's no need for sacrifice. There's no heaven. There's no hell. It's just the here and the now. So live for the moment. If it feels good, do it. If it hurts others, well, they'll get over it. If I want it, grab it. If, if, if I can be my own God, then that's great because I can make my own rules. I can create my own destiny. As some have said, just eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. That's the reality if the resurrection is a hoax. And I can understand people who want to control their own lives, hoping and maybe even praying that that's true, that there is no resurrection. However, if it is true, and if what Jesus said he would do, he did, if what the Bible reports that Jesus did, he actually did, then there is a God powerful enough to raise the dead. Then, then everything that Jesus claimed really was true. He really was the Son of God. He really is the only Savior of the world. He really is the way, the truth, and the life that the only way back to the Father. And He really is worthy of my worship, and He's worthy of my allegiance. I can understand why the lost world has such a desire to dismiss the resurrection. Because if it's true, it changes everything. Here's what I have a hard time fathoming, though. I can understand why lost people would diminish the resurrection. 
cannot understand why believers would look at the resurrection as a minor event. Look at the resurrection as something that can be, yeah, I take it or I leave it. It's not that important. I mean, most of these believers would not publicly deny that there was a resurrection, but they live each day giving it very little consideration. They, they would not waste a lot of energy trying to defend the resurrection or list it even as a major doctrine worth their dispute or worth their argument. They live life kind of cautiously optimistic. They, they hope that it's true. And, and part of what happens is they don't realize they don't realize everything that's tied to the resurrection of Christ. So let's talk about a couple things that are, that are intricately woven into the resurrection. That, that if the resurrection is not true, these things don't matter. But if it is true, they matter a lot. And the first is this, that, that the resurrection was God's proof that Jesus' sacrifice was adequate to atone for our sins. The resurrection was God's proof that he had accepted what Christ did on the cross as payment for my sins and for your sins. By raising Jesus from the dead, God declared that, that what Jesus did was acceptable, that salvation was secure, and that our justification was accomplished on the cross. In Acts 2, 36, he says, Through the resurrection, God has made Jesus, who was crucified, both Lord and Christ. That word Christ was the word for Messiah. It meant that he was the savior of the world. And so through the resurrection, God made known that Jesus was the true savior of the world. Romans 4.25, it inseparably links his death and his resurrection to our salvation. It says that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. So he was he died and he was resurrected. Both of those pour into our salvation and make it possible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a whole chapter really about the resurrection of Jesus, but, but verses 14 and 17 and 18, Paul goes farther and states that if Christ were not raised from the dead, then we're all still lost. And there's no hope of salvation. So it's not a minor issue. It's got to remain front and center. And in that passage in verse 14, Paul wrote this. He said, if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He says in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is futile. You're still lost in your sin. Verse 18, he says, if the resurrection is not true, then everyone who has ever died with their faith in Christ, those who've fallen asleep in Christ, are still lost. Romans 10, 9 and 10, link these things together. Listen to this. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, and you don't just hope, but you believe, you put all your eggs in that basket. You, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's the resurrection. Then you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe. Believe what? Believe in the resurrection. And that's when you're justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. So the resurrection is proof that, that salvation is made possible, that what Jesus did on the cross was enough. But another reason the resurrection is essential is that our own resurrection 
is linked directly to Jesus's resurrection. In other words, if Jesus's resurrection is not true, then there is no resurrection for me. There is no resurrection for you. Jesus is what the Bible calls the first fruit, guaranteeing what is yet to come. In other words, Jesus was the first one to be resurrected in this way, but not the last. He was the first, but not the last. In 1 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Romans 6.5, it says, if we have been united with him in his death, then we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. You see how it links his resurrection to our resurrection? You can't separate those two. 1 Corinthians 6.14, it says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us. Again, linking his resurrection to our resurrection. John 6.40 says, My father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Again, linking the, the belief in the resurrection of Christ to the confidence in the resurrection of our own lives. 2 Corinthians 4.14, it says the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. He's saying the same God that resurrected Jesus will be the same God that resurrects us. We cannot sep separate our resurrection from his resurrection. If his is secure and his is sure and his his occurred, then we can rest assured that ours will too. But if his never occurred, then we have no hope that ours will either. And third, finally, if the resurrection were not true, then everything Jesus taught us about heaven, about himself, is false. Everything he talked about when he talked about us ruling and reigning with Christ, throw it out if the resurrection's not true. When he talks about us being gathered together for the marriage supper of the Lamb, to enjoy him and to enjoy all that he's prepared for us, just throw that out. If he wasn't resurrected, he's dead. There'll be no marriage supper of the Lamb. The, the, the image of him being the bridegroom and us being the bride and him coming back and to receive us into himself, throw that all away if he's still dead then that can't be true. His promise about sending the Holy Spirit when he's returned to the Father, that's not true. If he never was resurrected and he never returned to the Father, his warning about the judgment, throw that out. How can we trust those words? His promise about our reward that awaits us for faithfully serving and following him Who's going to give us that reward if Jesus is dead? He's promised to be interceding for us. Throw that away if he's dead. He said he's going to conquer death, hell, and the grave. All of that's a lie if Jesus wasn't resurrected. If he weren't resurrected, if that never happened, then that means Jesus lied to us. And if he lied to us, then he is no longer the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. All he was was a better sinner than you or me. 
he wasn't perfect, but he was good. But good's not good enough when it comes to atoning for our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. Again, that, that chapter on the importance of the resurrection. Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men. What, what's he saying? He's saying if we've just convinced ourselves that there's a resurrection, if we just convinced ourselves that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, if we've just fooled ourselves into thinking this in order to get through this life and to cope with death and to cope with what we think is going to come in the end, and it's not true, then we ought to be pitied more than all men. We sacrifice for Christ. We deny ourselves. We, we, we put our flesh to death. And, and if it's all just for a hoax, <laughs> We've missed our opportunity to live. If this life is all that it is, and there is no eternity because what Christ told us was wrong, then we're fools to do what we do. We're fools to lay down our life for others if this is all there is. So Paul says a resurrection means everything. Our hope as believers is directly tied to the certainty of the resurrection. You take away the resurrection and you take away all hope that we have of eternity with God. So does the resurrection really matter? Is it something that we need to stand and, and, and defend and believe with our whole heart? Or is it something we can just say, ah, I'm going to believe what I want to believe and you just believe what you want to believe. Is it really that big of a deal? Does it make that big of a difference in the grand scheme of things? Well, I would ask you, if you're not sure, to go and ask the parent of a wayward child who's praying every night for that child to come home. Ask him if there really is a God. Go ask the patient dying of coronavirus if the resurrection really matters. Go ask the mom that's holding her lifeless child and the only hope that she has is that there is a resurrection and that she'll see that child again. Ask her if the resurrection really matters. Ask the senior adult who's burying his wife of 75 years if the resurrection really matters. Ask the young lady who's just been diagnosed with an aggressive form of ovarian cancer. Ask her if the resurrection really matters. Ask the missionary who's risking it all to take the gospel to a people that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Ask him if the resurrection really matters. Ask the Old Testament saints who staked everything on their confidence and their hope and their assurance that the Messiah would come and that he would atone for their sins. You ask them if the resurrection really matters. And then ask the thief on the cross. Remember that one that looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. You ask him if the resurrection really matters. But perhaps the one person you should really be asking is yourself. You need to be honest with yourself. And you need to ask, does the resurrection really matter? 
you need to examine and, and ask to, to what are you anchoring your hope for eternity if it's not the resurrection? And if the resurrection is true, then you need to ask how does that truth reflect it in the way I'm living out every moment of every day? Am I living as if my Savior's alive? Or am I living as if he's still in a tomb? If Jesus did all that he said that he would do, then his return is as certain as his resurrection. And his judgment is as certain as the promises he made. So we shouldn't be like Thomas, who said, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Because by the time we see it, guys, it's going to be too late. Now is the time for us to anchor our hope to the resurrection. Now is the time to begin living as if we really believe that everything he promised has come true and will come true. So let me ask you, are you still living as if Jesus were in a tomb? Or are you living every single day as if he is alive and he is well and he is coming again soon? Is the God that you profess to follow still living today? Or is he still stuffed into a tomb? You see, Jesus is our resurrection in our life. John chapter 11. And Jesus says, he that believes will live even if he dies. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the promise of the resurrection. That's why the resurrection really matters. So you anchor your hope to the resurrection and you'll never, ever be disappointed. But you may ask, how can I know for certain that the resurrection is true? Well, John chapter 20, verse 31. John's winding up his book, his letter that he's written about Jesus. And he says, all these things I've written in the Bible so that you may believe and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Bible's trustworthy. The Bible is true. Every word of it. Maybe you're not convinced but I will say this much to you. You may not be convinced that the Bible is true, but you cannot refute my claim that the Bible is true until you've read every word of it. You cannot refute the claim until you've sat down and you've read it first. So maybe that's where you need to begin right now. It's to say, you know what? I'm going to investigate this. and I'm going to see if the facts line up, if the storyline is true, if this is something that I can stake my life on and, and believe with my whole heart. Maybe that's where you need to start. See, God's given us his word that we might know and that we might believe and that in believing we might have life that comes through his resurrected son. So as we celebrate the resurrection today as believers in Christ, I encourage you to anchor your faith to Christ's death, to his burial, and to his resurrection. For apart from that, there's no forgiveness of sins. There's no hope of a heaven and there's no life eternal. If you're not yet a Christ follower, I understand the risk of even beginning to consider that the resurrection could have happened. I know there's a risk in admitting that, that the resurrection did happen because the resurrection changes everything. It means that you really are loved. You thought about that? If the resurrection is true, it means you really are loved, that you're wanted, the fact that you're pursued by a loving God who would lovingly go to the cross and give his life 
that you might live with him eternally. That's what the resurrection means. Christ did what no other person could do for us. It means you're loved and you're wanted and you're pursued. It means you were not simply created to just live for yourself, but you were created to live for something greater. In fact, you were created to live for someone greater than yourself. It means God has a plan for your life that's better than any plan you could have devised on your own. See, there's risk in believing that the resurrection is true because if the resurrection is true and Jesus is alive, then he has a right to claim on your life. The truth of the resurrection means that your sins have been atoned for and that everlasting life is available for you. It means that forgiveness is yours for the asking. And it's available right now. So as we wrap this up, we bow our heads before the Lord. Maybe today, as best you understand, you would confess to God that you believe. That you believe in Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Maybe as we pray, you would thank him for, for taking your place on the cross, for paying the price for every act of selfishness and wickedness and sin that you have ever committed. And maybe right now today, Easter Sunday, you, in your prayer and from your heart, would ask God to anchor you to the truth of God's word, that Christ is risen, that he is alive, and that he is coming again soon to claim all who belong to him. Would you pray with me right now? Let's pray. God, as we bow our heads and we yield ourselves to you, we ask that for those who are listening Lord, that may not have yet put their faith and their hope and their trust in you, that, God, you would do whatever's necessary to bring them to that place that they could exercise that trust and that faith in you. God, that you would help them. You give them confidence that you would show them in the word of God how trustworthy and true your word is. That, Father, as they read the message of the great love that you had for them, that, that their hearts would be drawn to you, that they would want to follow a God who loves them enough to go to the cross for them. Father, I, I thank you that you took our place on that cross, that you bore in your body our sins so that we might become the righteousness of God. And God, we ask you to anchor us to yourself and anchor us to the truth of God's word, that you came and died in our place, that you were buried and on the third day you rose again victorious over the hell, over the grave, and over death. And that, Lord, you've ascended back to the right hand of the Father and that one day soon you will break through those clouds and you will come and you will gather up every person who has ever put their faith and their trust in you. God, cleanse us of our sin. For, forgive us where we've fallen short. Make us your children and let us follow you with the rest of our lives. I pray all of this now in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Friend, thank you for being a part of this. I pray God's richest blessings upon you. Listen, if, if you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, there is nothing I would rather do than to talk with you and to help explain that to you and help you to understand it more completely. Please contact us and let us know if you have those questions. Let us be a, a, a group of people that can, can help you in your walk with the Lord, can nurture you and help you to grow. We would love for you to be a part 
of what God's doing through this church and what God's doing through each of us as we seek to follow him each day. None of us are perfect, but man, we are forgiven and God's grace has been applied to our lives. And we want you to know and experience that the same way that we do. I pray you have a blessed Easter. I pray that God keeps you safe and that, uh, that you'll join us again real soon as we finally get to gather back together as a church and, uh, and, and be with one another. I love you. God bless you. Have a great Easter. Bye-bye.